Let's turn to the Word of God this morning, shall we? To the book of Hebrews, the seventh chapter, taking ourselves further down. I'm going to start reading this morning in verse 13 through verse 19, if you'd follow along as I read. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect, on the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope, through which we draw near to God. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord God, blessed be thy name in all the earth. And your Son, Jesus Christ, holy art thou and worthy to be praised as King and Savior, and Priest, and God. Bless this, the study of your word, the preaching of your word, that this proclamation would indeed inform the hearts and minds of your people, giving them confidence to draw near unto you, showing the way paved and even kept open by Jesus Christ, our great high priest of the order of Melchizedek. Lord, bless this time together in your word. Bless your people through your word. Not because we deserve it, Lord, but because of your loving kindness and because of your mercy and grace. Bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. through which we draw near to God. The end of verse 19 is through which we draw near to God. Drawing near to God. This is written to Hebrews. Would that be significant to them? This is applicable to New Testament Christians in this room. Would that be important to us? The drawing near unto God. But why for the Hebrew would this be a very significant thing? 
Why is this a theme that runs throughout? Enter my rest. He says to these Hebrews in the first chapters of this book. Don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion, but hear me, hear my voice, and enter my rest. Come near. Now here is a new high priest. Can you draw near? You see, it was never easy to draw near unto God after the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. I want to take you to Exodus 19, and I'm going to open by reading these things that are truths in the mind of every Hebrew of the Scriptures, every Hebrew who believes in the Scriptures. This is what God was like and how difficult he was to approach. Hebrews 19.10 Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. So let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them, drawing near to God, drawing near to God. A frightening prospect, it seems. Exodus 24, 1. 
Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, now pay attention here, and worship him from afar. Not near. From afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord. But they shall not come near. Nor shall the people go up with him. There is distance. There is separation between even the people of Israel called by God's name, identified as his very own people, promised the promises of God, very God, given a land by God, being initiated to that land, separation. Inability to draw near. Exodus 28, 37. Speaking of the clothing that the high priest was to wear. The human high priest, Aaron the first. And you shall put it, put on it, and this would be the turban, or this headdress, on it a blue cord that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may, listen, bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. There was a plaque on that sermon that said, Holiness to the Lord. God is holy. He cannot bear sin without judging it. Sinful man may not come near a holy God and live without protection. And the high priest wore a plate on his head that symbolized always a reminder that their approach must be reverent before the Holy God. This is where we get the idea of the fear of the Lord. It has fallen out of popularity, but not with God. We've been studying a high priest, not one after Aaron, and we've been looking at first five and today six reasons why the priesthood of Jesus Christ, the Melchizedekian priesthood, replaces the Levitical priesthood. And in verses 11 through 19, we've been studying first that there was needed a replacement because the Levitical priests were imperfect. They were incomplete, they were men, they were sinful, and they died. We look secondly, because there was a change in the law. There's a change of the priests. There's of necessity a change of the law and vice versa. When there's a change of the law, there needs to be a change of the priest, and the law changed. 
Thirdly, we saw because Christ is from the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the fulfillment of what was predicted in Zechariah that one man, the Messiah, would be both king and high priest over Israel. Which thing cannot be done under the law? For under the law, only Levites may serve the Lord in the temple. And Jesus is of the kingly tribe of Judah. But now we see by an oath of God, he is of the order of Melchizedek, fulfilling Zechariah's prediction. Fourthly, we saw that Christ's priesthood must replace the Levitical priesthood because prophecy must be fulfilled. These things God has said, so it must be done. There is one who rises in the likeness of Melchizedek, another kind, a different kind of priest. And then fifthly, because the power of life is better than the law. This priest in Jesus lives forever, an everlasting life, an endless life, an endless power, an endless ministry, better than the limited temporary and tarnished ministry of the Levitical priests. But now this morning, I want to take time just for this final, the sixth reason why the Melchizedekian priesthood of Jesus Christ must replace the Levitical priesthood. Letter F in your notes, because the law could not provide one very, very important thing, hope. Because the law and the Levites could not provide hope. And we could say even an enduring hope. We look at verses that we're reading here again. Let me look at verse 18 and 19 and just read them again to draw us into the text one more time. For on the one hand, verse 18, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect on the other hand, there is the bringing in of a, listen, of a better hope. So the law gave some sorts of hope, but it was temporary. It wasn't everlasting. It wasn't permanent. It wasn't to be depended upon. And there's a better hope that is being brought forward. What I want to present to you this morning is that there are two main problems with the old Mosaic law and the Levitical priests. And there are two main blessings with the priesthood of Melchizedek through Christ and the New Covenant. First, the two main problems with the Mosaic Law. Number one, the Old Commandment or the Old Law was weak and unprofitable. We just read that in the latter portion of verse 18. We saw that there's an annulling of that law, meaning a doing away of it. The reason being, the reason it was done away with set aside and is no longer binding is because of its weakness and unprofitableness. I did not say this about the law. God said this about the law. This is a hard thing for Christians to accept. It is even more hard and more difficult for Hebrews to accept at the time this was written. For they for hundreds of years had their entire societal life ruled by the law of Moses. 
their entire civil system set up on the law of Moses, and their entire sacrificial system also governed by the Mosaic law. And here it is in this book saying it's annulled. And it's weak and unprofitable. Now, does that mean God wrote a bad law? No, God wrote this law for another purpose. The law in and of itself is absolutely holy, but man is not. But it was weak, and I'll tell you why it was weak, because of this. It was weak in that it could only reveal sin. The old commandment was weak because it could only reveal sin. In other words, it could only stir up sin. It could make it come to the surface. It could make you aware of it. You know, sometimes we think we're walking in a pretty perfect kind of life, don't we? Sometimes, you know, we're going along with, you know, I'm having me a pretty good day here. You know, I'm doing right. I'm doing my job. I got up this morning. I did the stuff I'm supposed to do. I look how I'm supposed to look. I'm going where I'm supposed to go. I'm thinking, I think, what I'm supposed to think. And then all of a sudden, the law enters your life in some way or another. Like, well, maybe I'm running just a wee bit late, you know, at 70 out on these highways, but there's nobody here. 70 is a suggestion. Don't they know that these highways were actually designed for an 80-mile-an-hour car? I guess I can go a little faster. And then when you see that sign, or, or you're even more, all of a sudden you see this car parked by the side. You hadn't even seen it. And on the top of it, there's a distinctive roundness. Encompassing lights of a certain color. And bang! Guilt. Even if he doesn't pull you over, what do you do? I'm off the brake. I'm off the gas, baby. Like, coasting by. Sorry, officer. Sin rises up just in the face of the law. Because you're sinners. We're sinners. Sin is revealed by the law that says, don't do that. Don't covet. Oh. Like, like everything or just a few things. Here's what the problem with the law is. I want to give you a number of examples of how Israel responded to the law when it was given by Moses. We begin in Exodus chapter 19, verse 7. Just going to give you an overview of how the people responded to the law when it was given and what they thought they were able to do with it. Exodus 19, 7. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, Listen, all that the Lord has spoken, what? We will do. All that the Lord has spoken. Have you read the law? 
I mean, you even think about it. You read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Read all of the different requirements. And just think about, after having heard that, that you would stand up and say, oh, what a magnificent thing we've been given here. And all of those things that you said to do, well, of course, we shall do. That's a given. We'll be law keepers. And we'll be promise keepers. So Moses brought back the words to the people of the Lord. Again, later in Exodus 24, 3, we read, So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. Not only there, just a few verses later, skipping to verse 7 of Exodus 24, then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said, we will do, and be obedient. Yes, mommy and daddy, we will do whatever you say. Yes, O oh great governor, we will do whatever you say. Yes, Mr. President, we'll follow the laws. Yes, yes, yes. I wonder how many uh, there are in this room that one time or another in their lives have said to God exactly what Israel said to God when you came across the commandments of God, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament. I'm not asking for a raising of hands. I can feel what's happening right now wafting up to me. That is also something that is a part of being a sinner is an overestimation of our abilities to do right and good. And conversely, there is an underestimation or if you will, a failure to, to recognize and count our fallibilities and inabilities to do exactly what we said we would do. So let me just say in your minds, answer that question, when you said to the Lord all that you said to do, I am going to do, how did you do with that? I wonder if you did like Israel and failed miserably. I wonder what you've learned by that. Are you still doing that thing? I hope today to help you because that's a hopeless path which Israel found out because the old commandment was weak in that it could only reveal sin. I take you to the book of Deuteronomy now. There's been 40 years of wilderness wanderings. Israel failed to do what they said they would do. They turned from following God. God punished them and left them in the wilderness to wander for 40 years before going into the promised land and now re-gives the law to Moses. We find it recorded in Deuteronomy. And here's how it goes from this point, Deuteronomy 5, 27. You go near and hear all the Lord our God may say, the people say to Moses, 
and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you, and we will hear and do it. So Israel says, we don't want to be in the presence of God like that. It's too much for us. You go up, you be in his presence, you bring back the word of God, and we'll do our part, we'll do it. Verse 28. Then the Lord heard the voice of, of your words, and when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Then God says this through Moses, Oh, that they had such a heart in them. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments that it might be well with them and their children forever. Oh, if they just had a heart, if they just had a way of doing this, what they said they would do, keep my law, then they would have my goodness poured out on them. Go and say to them, return to your tents, verse 30. But as for you, he says to Moses, stand here by me and I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which you shall teach them, that they may observe them in the land which I am giving them to possess. I take you long now to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, and I want to hear you to hear two predictions, one from God, one from Moses, both in chapter 31 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 31, 19. Now therefore, God says, write down the song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that the song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. Now pay attention here. When I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey of which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat. Then they will turn to other gods and serve them. And they will provoke me and break my covenant. Well, what a horrible pronouncement to make. God to Israel, right? Hey, I'm going to give you this land. I know I'll punish you for 40 years. Moses, give them all my law. And there he goes, we'll do it. And then God says, you won't do it. God pronounces they're not going to do it. Wasn't that like one of those catch-22s that you're condemned if you do and condemned if you don't? No matter what you do, you're dead. No matter what you do, you're wrong. Exactly. 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 The law was weak in that it only exposed sin, but could not deal with it, and they then could not deal with that, and they went after other gods that were easier to serve. See, when man makes his own gods, he makes laws, supposedly from those gods, that he likes to keep, that allows him to sin, so that he can feel comfortable in his sin. 
Our nation is an idolatrous nation. We're making laws that allow us to sin so that our conscience won't bother us. But you know what? It isn't working. For God is noticing. I want to skip down to Deuteronomy 31, verse 24, and this is Moses himself, for Moses is about to die. Moses, by the way, will never enter the promised land. He will only get to see it from a high mountain because he failed God one time and he didn't obey what God had told him to do. God said, speak to the rock and bring water from it for the people. Moses, in his anger, struck the rock and out came water. And so Moses never saw the promised land. The law killed him too. Deuteronomy 31, Moses says to the people, so it was when Moses had completed writing the words of the law in the book. When he had completed writing the words of the law in a book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there, listen, as a witness against you. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. This is the Bible stuff. You mean, I thought the Bible is good to have, right? If you have the, 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 these laws, right, and we keep them like... Isn't that good? Yeah, it's good, but you know what it does? The good thing that the law does is it testifies that you're a sinner and you're in sin and you're condemned. Isn't that wonderful? It actually is. For unless that happens, you can't come to God. You won't look beyond yourself for help. And Moses points that out. He says, take this book of the law, put it beside the Ark of the Covenant for the Lord your God that it may be there as a witness against you. For I know your rebellion, Moses says, and your stiff neck. If today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? Gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their hearing and call heaven and earth to witness against them. Oh boy, Moses, it's sure good to see you, pal. Yeah, when did you say you were leaving? So the law testifies against them and the ground testifies against them and the heavens testify against them. Verse 29, for I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you and evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. The law stirred up sin. Come near to me. You can't. You come near to me. You even touch this mountain. I'll break out against you. You don't keep my law. My anger is going to be provoked against you. What is it then that Hebrews is saying when it says through which we draw near to God? A better hope. I think you're getting the picture. There's a better hope. 
First, it was weak, and then it only exposed sin. Secondly, the law was unprofitable. Only, this is letter, small letter B, lowercase letter B, unprofitable, could, it was, it only could temporarily cover sin. It could over, only temporarily cover sin. There was no complete covering of sin. We've been studying the perfect that we find so many times here in this book, particularly again, verse 19, and the law made nothing perfect. The law made nothing complete, nothing mature, nothing fulfilled. The drawing near unto God wasn't completely brought about. There was still a distance between man and God, even with the Levitical priests, even with the law. Certainly they could draw nearer than ever before, and the Lord dwelled in their midst, but no one could come into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies ever but one man once a year, the high priest. It couldn't completely cover sin. It could not fully cleanse of sin, and it only temporarily dealt with sins, and as soon as you sinned again, you had to bring another sacrifice. And then all year long, the list of infractions of sins against God that were done in ignorance that God knew about, the high priest once a year went into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for them. And as soon as he came out and one person sinned, they're back on the list. Sins not covered. In Romans 3, Paul so succinctly and powerfully says at the end of showing us just how rotten the hearts of every man, both Jew and Gentile, are. In Romans 3.20, he says this about those who try to keep the law. He says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, listen, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. So if God can see you, you're near. And if he can see you near enough, he sees you that you are not justified by the law, for by the law is what? The knowledge of sin, not the complete covering of sin, the knowledge of sin. It was unprofitable. It could only temporarily cover sin and in an external way. What are the results of the law then? Men are not near to God. They're still at a distance. They're still separated from God. And they could not draw near with a better hope because there wasn't one. Second result of the law, they cannot fully and confidently approach God through the law of Moses and the Levitical priests because they were limited. They were not sufficient. And the law was not made for that purpose. So we looked at the first main problem with the law and the Levites. I want to take you to the second main problem with the law and the Levites. The old law made nothing perfect or complete, as we'd already been talking about. The law made nothing as it should be. Verse 19 again. The law made nothing perfect. The old law was a model. 
It was a shadow, as we'll learn later in Hebrews, a precursor of the new covenant. Paul, again, as we look to Romans 3, excuse me, Romans 8, verse 3, he says this, for what the law could not do, listen, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, through the flesh of the people, listen, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That doesn't mean he was sinful. It means he came in the flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but what? But according to the spirit. Now Galatians, here Paul gives a much more pointed measurement of the law and points to Christ in this way. He says in Galatians 2.16, he says, knowing, meaning everyone should know this, that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So you could have been like a Pharisee and done every single law there was and went through all the motions you had to go through and you would find yourself in a position when you stood before God upon your death, not justified before God. You would find yourself unjust, convicted, guilty, and condemned. Unless those works were mixed with faith. But in Christ, all of that is focused then on Christ. We know that we're justified, not by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we, Paul goes on in Galatians 2.16, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, listen, no flesh shall be justified. It was incomplete. So that's the bad news. That's how hard it is to draw near to God. That's how frightening it is to be in a sinful state before a holy God. Your life is in danger. Here are the two great blessings from having a new high priest of the order of Melchizedek who administers a new covenant, a new law. The two great blessings of new covenant and a new high priest. Number one, the new covenant brings in a better hope. The new covenant brings in a better hope. I asked you earlier, how are you doing now with those little uh, vows that you've taken in the past? You know, Lord, if you'll just help me here, I'm going to keep this law and never break it ever again. Lord, oh yes, I'm going to really double down on this. I'm going to, I'm going to keep it every single time. I'm not, even going to, I'm not even going to go there. And then you fail. What happens to you when you fail at that? Are you unsaved? You are, and you were before you made that vow, if you think that's what saves you. If you think you can say like Israel, all you've asked me to do, that I will do, you just failed. Isn't this hard for us to get through us? That's why I'm yelling so loud. 
We're battering down the pridefulness that is in our flesh that thinks this next time I'm going to fulfill it all perfectly. You know what I know about me now that I follow the Lord so many numbers of years now? Is that I am terribly disappointing to myself, those around me, and to my God. Because I fail. Isn't it Paul who cried out, Who will save me from this body of death? Don't you sometimes cry out that way? Who's going to save me? Why are these temptations still here? How come I am not stronger with these things? How come I'm not figuring this out? How come I'm still keeping tabs to get myself into heaven? There are that many good, this many bad. Of course, I didn't count that other thing, but oh well. Because that's what we have to break through. The pride of humanity that thinks we can do it. Let me just tell you something. You can't keep God's laws, Old Testament or New Testament. You will fail. You will forfeit. You will be a disappointment. Now, please don't leave here saying, well, pastor says we don't even have to try. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you think how successful you are in keeping any of God's laws, whether they be the Old Testament, which aren't for us, or even the New Testament, which is full of laws, try out James, then you failed already. That's not the standard for entrance into the presence of God. John 1, 17. For the law was given through Moses. John says, But grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. But unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor, grace came through Jesus Christ. So when I am trusting in Jesus, I'm not saying I did 273 good things according to God's word, and I believed on Jesus, therefore I'm safe and saved. Wrong. When I say, I can't do anything to earn the nearness of your presence, I deserve your condemnation and punishment, just like Israel, have mercy on me, a sinner. Shed your grace upon me. I don't deserve it. Then you've got somewhere. Now you're in the realm of faith. But grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Yes, truth, even his commandments. But most certainly, the grace that saved you by his truth. Verse 18 of First John, or John 1 says this. No one has seen God at any time. Hmm. Hmm. Wait a minute. We just read about God coming down on the mountain. No one's seen God at any time. 
Well, did, didn't Moses get a peek at God? The burning bush and all that? Mm. Didn't see God full on. No man has seen God at any time. See, the true or is not. It's true. No man has seen God at, at any time. The only begotten Son, listen, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now, now we, we don't use bosom too much, you know, uh, here. Um, but but let, me just, let me just share. Um, that means very close. Like a mother takes up her child under her bosom. Like a father gathers up his sons on his lap and close to him. Nearness. Jesus has been near to God. And Jesus came down from heaven to declare him to those of us who have not seen him. And how do we find that God? Is he just the God of Deuteronomy ready to break out against us? Is it like even in Hebrews where it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God? Is that it? The only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father has told you what the Father is like. He sent his only begotten Son as a high priest who delivers you into the presence of God whom he has seen and you will see if you believe in him. It is in the book of Colossians where we read this of the better hope. A new hope came through Jesus the Son of God. Colossians 1.27 tells us of the wonderment of God giving a better hope not only to Israel but also to the Gentiles. That includes us. And it says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, listen, Christ in you, the hope of glory. May I say this startling term? Hello? Hello? Christ in you? Don't come near me. Don't even get close. God sent his son, born under the law, to fulfill the law. He who is in the bosom of the Father, the very word of God. And then, 
through some miracle? Oh, I wish these people had a heart to obey my commandments. How did that happen? When Jesus came into my heart, when Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy or my soul. The sea rivers roll. Jesus came into my heart. That's a hope. A God who could not be approached without fear. Now his son, God himself, lives in you. The hope of glory. The hope that one day you will be in glory. The hope of one day you will see his glory. The hope of one day you shall share in the glory. You shall reflect the glory. You shall live the glory. That's better than the law. Paul goes on to say, Him... We preach. No, he didn't say the law we preach. The priests we preach. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present, here's our word, every man perfect, every man complete, every man able to approach through the better hope in Jesus Christ. Teleon in crystal. Complete in Christ. So, keepers of the law, how are you doing? You want to keep on that track? As they say today, how's that working out for you? And I don't say that to be condescending. I say it to mature you. Get over it. Grow up into this. New hope, new covenant, new approach. One more point, so little time. The second blessing of the new covenant and of a new high priest. The new covenant through the ministry of the new high priest of the order of Melchizedek draws us near to God. I've said this ad nauseum. What do priests do? They bring people to God. What does Jesus do as our great high priest? He brings us to God. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there's this bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Sin separated man from the presence of a holy God. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and his wife fell, and the Bible tells us hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Therefore God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to protect him from his own sin, lest he eat from the tree of life and live forever dead. Cain, when he rose up against his brother Abel, the Lord drove him out, and even Cain says, You have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. 
In his sin, David cried out to God, Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And it was Isaiah who said, When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices, he says. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moon, the Sabbath, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. He says, those things you are doing, you are doing without faith. You are doing without love. You're not doing them unto me. You're doing them for yourself. I hate it. How much more so in the age of Christ will we trample underground, underfoot, this Jesus who replaces the law and brings us into the presence of Christ. So who's nearer to God? The lawkeeper or the failure who acknowledges his failure to God? And says, only you can save me. Through the ministry of our great high priest of the order of Melchizedek, we may draw near to God. How could it be that we who are such, at such a distance from God, we who could not even come close because of our sin. We who were of the Gentiles, not even of the chosen people of Israel, how could it be that we would have this scene then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God? Let us hold fast our confession. Is our confession, I've kept all the law? No, the confession is, I have Jesus as my great high priest. It is through him I come. Who are you here with, God may say, when you attempt to approach him on his throne, when his holiness and his glory are there? And what will thou say? I deserve to get in. I was better than him. Say, with me I came with him. This Jesus of the order of Melchizedek is my great high priest. I confess him. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace for help in time of need. Therefore it is that James would say in his work, chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It is that Paul would echo that very sentiment in Ephesians 2 verse 13 and says to all of us who were once so far off from God, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You kids in the audience, you listen to me. You old people in this audience, you listen to me. 
You middle-aged or those who are lying about your middle age, listen to me. The greatest need you have, the number one need you have is to be close to God. You were created to walk with Him. You were designed to be in His presence and only Christ can bring us to Him. Only Christ can create in us a clean heart. Only He can birth us again and bring us into fellowship with a holy God. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The law or the great high priest, you decide. The new high priest or the old law? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today we would acknowledge you as our great high priest of the order of Melchizedek, who has entered behind the veil and welcomes us to come with him by faith. Lord, may we come with you. May our faith be in you and your ministry and not in our own. I pray for some who have been within the sound of my voice this morning who have struggled with law-keeping their entire life. They like the lists. They like the keeping track. They're having trouble letting go. They're under a bondage of competing with themselves and others for your favor, for your welcoming look. Shatter that illusion and falsity and replace it with this. By grace, Jesus died for them and covered all their sins. And he has shared his inheritance with all who believe in him. And through his high priestly ministry, we confess we may be bold to enter your presence with him. And as they come, Lord, I pray they will do as your word says, find mercy and receive grace for help in time of need. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.